Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Crowcast Tuesday Night Live. Uh, a couple of weeks break, so you'd think that there's tons going on at the moment, Peter, but uh, I don't think there has been, has there? Uh, good morning. I'll get up. What Ooh, I'm, what what's I'm going on with um, our audio here? Hang on a second. <laughs> How's that? Is that better? Yeah, it sounds, yeah, uh, sounds good better. to me. We just went good evening. for a minute. <laughs> Sorry, mate. It's good evening. Well, probably just as well because I was had my mornings and afternoons mixed. It's sitting for twenty four hours in a house. That's what it is. <laughs> but good evening to Fiend and also obviously to Nikki. How are you going? I'm good. What day is it again? Oh, yeah. who knows? Who knows what day it is? It's either coffee time or, or beer time, isn't it? That's really what we're... just melting into one. It's good. Good. My phone's got an alarm of nine o'clock every weekday, so I know. Oh shit! I'm supposed to turn the computer on. <laughs> Look, I think um, I'm, I'm happy to lead off with because uh, there has been a bit of news around, and it's there's a bit of a, a bit of a theme building in the news, Fiend and Nikki, and I'm keen to get it out there. Um, it, it, it all started back about a week or so ago when the AFL made a decision that the um, uh, that the players in Western Australia couldn't train in groups of ten, even though that that wouldn't be in breach of the uh, Western Australian laws um, on gatherings, and um, it was a little bit controversial. Uh, it was put out there that uh, look, you know, we couldn't have any. You know, Gill said we could we couldn't have inequity in the competition, um, and with the Victorian based players only being able to train in groups of two, that extra eight players was thought to uh, have made a, a fairly significant difference. Which was a, you know, I, I thought certainly a petty um, and quite typical AFL um, decision. And uh, there was plenty of discussion uh, around social media and the various uh, um, talking heads about that. And um, it was um, what, what's been interesting in the um, flow from that is that there has been this um, palpable rising tide um, of the general inequities in the AFL. And um, it started off with Tom Rockcliffe from Port having a crack about it. Yeah. Um, then Travis Boak had a crack about it. Um, Kane Corns um, had a crack about it. Um, and interestingly, tonight, um, I think it was only just, I've, I've only just recently seen it, so I think it's fairly recent. Uh, but Matthew Pavlet has come out and had a crack about it. Yeah, that's interesting. And so there is this tide. Um, I think, and what's been really, really interesting is the um, is the real sort of um, um, the, like the oh my god, are you serious from the from the Melbourne media? This sort of you know they're aghast that you would that anybody would think that the competition was even in favouring favouring Victorian teams, yeah, and yeah. Um, and you know Jared Waitley, um, you know came out with um, you know typical Waitley language that he was perplexed. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Come up with a word that's got more syllables than that in it. Jared was perplexed that we would think that it was it was fair that that the WA teams could train in groups of ten when the Victorian teams couldn't. So um, I think that you know it's interesting that there has now over the last week there has certainly been, um, and uh, you know we all know that once the um, once we get back to a normal football season it'll amount to naught, but um, it is clear that there is. Um, uh, significant discontent, I would suspect, because I would suspect that Travis Boat's coming out and saying that. I, I reckon it would be pretty obvious that 
it would be, you know, along the lines in, in you know, most playing groups of the non-Victorian teams. Um, and um, I think there's a lot of feeling out there. I really do. I think there's a lot of feeling out there in the football world. And I know just in my little Twitter world theme is that, you know, I, you know, I can tweet something and, you know, I, I, you get a few likes here and there. If I yep. tweet something about the inequity of the AFL competition, I can generally bank out, you know, sort of 100. Yeah, um, it's sort of it's it's something that has got. I reckon it's got traction, and I reckon it really has got the ear of the of the football public. And I think it's come to the forefront where we've got these um, you know different differing state laws. But anyway, that, I think it's just an interesting development through the week. Well, the trouble with all that is that um, oops, what have I done? The trouble with all that is that there's no traction. It doesn't matter because. You just not there's not enough traction in the with the interstate or the non-Victorian teams to actually do anything about it. So we can arc up and carry on and, as much as we like, but at the end of the day, there's there's where's the impetus going to come from for, to initiate change? I mean, the AFL control GWS and Gold Coast, um, Port Adelaide are heavily in their pockets. Um, so there's three interstate teams that are going to drop into line. Uh, there's probably a fair bit of AFL influence still at Brisbane, so there's four. There's probably a bit of AFL influence still at uh, Sydney, so there's five. So there's not enough leverage from outside of Victoria, even if it's plain for everyone to see and it's completely obvious and we all know it and all the rest of it, uh, the AFL can just turn around and thumb their noses at it. It doesn't matter. That's well, which is it, what they do. Which I was going to say, do. though, yeah. it, it is interesting, though, that even though we know how much in-depth Port is to the AFL, you had Boak and you had Rockcliffe speaking up. And the fact that Boak was the second one to come out, if there was any issues, the club would have nixed their marking up. Yeah, I think there's been a bit of a... Uh, I think just the, the manner in which the media have been engaging with um, players during this period where they're having to communicate from home over Skype or whatever or, you know, remotely. I don't think there's probably the same level of control in many clubs over their media than what there otherwise would be. And I think that's why you get players probably speaking their mind a little bit more because they haven't been schooled. Yeah, that's a good point. And, look, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, as I said, once... This, once we go back to normal, everything will just go back to normal. Yeah. Um, uh, but I did think it was interesting that 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 is what this is what that's what the flavour of has been uh, in terms of AFL discussion this week. Um, there has been um, an interesting uptake, and I just wonder. And actually, um, I should mention too. I think Mick Malthouse might have weighed in. Yeah, Malthouse well. has weighed in. Um, um, Lee Matthews has said I, before that he's no longer. Like since he was up at Brisbane, he has a completely different perspective. The trouble is that Lee Matthews is probably not taken as seriously as he was maybe five, ten years ago. Yeah, no, that's right. I think though that I think that look, you know, you, I guess ninety five percent of me, you know, says that you're absolutely spot on, and it will just amount to naught. I guess there is just that little five percent which thinks, well, you know, people keep talking about this, and if, if really, really, if serious heavyweights like Pav if they're starting to, you know, if they start to become outspoken on it, um, um, then, you know, 
who knows? But I guess, you know, you've got to look at, well, how, how can you, given the fact that, you know, the, the whole issue with the MCG and, you know, the tenants and the contract and, you know, how does that, how does that change? The only thing that I have ever been able to see that could um, help and make things a bit better is just, you know, even getting, you know, four or five games a year oh, on yeah. the MCG. Yeah. Um, so that we at least play on it. And the problem is, of course, is that whenever tenants, the tenants Hawthorne and Melbourne want to sell, you know, home games, it's always the interstate, interstate clubs that bear the responsibility yeah. of losing that opportunity of playing on the G and end up going to Darwin or Tasmania. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that, to me, is the thing that's changeable um, and that really something should be done about that. The other yeah. interesting thing was that they talked about that if they are, once they go back in, with Western Australia's restrictions, they're saying that, well, Frio and West Coast have to relocate. It's like, well, I, I can understand why there's been a bit of arcing up if they're doing that because I suggest we might still have those similar restrictions here in South Australia. Are well, they going to tell I was wondering the about that. they have to I was wondering about that. They're all going on about Western Australia's closed borders, but our borders are still closed too, aren't they? Yep. Yeah. And I suggest that as even if our restrictions do get eased, I think our borders will be very strongly policed still. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I would have thought. Quite rightly. Look, I still don't you think see- there's a problem with if they're going to use chartered flights. I don't see that there's a problem um, per se in um, just you know fly and fly out situation. I don't. I can't see why Western Australian clubs would have to base themselves say, in Adelaide or, or Northern Territory or anything like that, really. Um, because if you're, going to, if you're going to impose those restrictions on those two clubs, why doesn't the same apply to any other club? Mm, exactly. And also, yeah, I'm, I'll be interested to hear the announcements on Monday about the restart of training because returning South Australian and West Australian-based clubs, returning players that have been situated in Melbourne or wherever... They're having to do their, and they can't start training for fourteen days because they're in self isolation. Yep. Whereas, whereas you know, a, Victor- a South Australian player going and playing for a Victorian club, well, they can start you know training straight away. Not fair. No, it's. Do you think the AFL make them wait fourteen days? I bet not. No. Right, look, the whole thing still. I think there's a, still a bit of speculation going on. I think McLaughlin is clearly waiting to see what's happening with the borders. I mean, Victoria have still got their problems. Um, and as an interstate club, I don't know whether I'd be necessarily happy flying into Victoria at the moment um, with Absolutely their not. unreported outbreak. And the, the other thing that people forget about all of these discussions, we're talking about players, etc. but you can't have a game without umpires. And the majority of the umpires are based in Victoria. And so what's actually going to happen around them being involved? And also they're not like players. They're not professional. They have their own jobs. So how is that actually going to be impacted? Yeah, exactly. I think Queensland have given them the green light to fly and fly out. Um, it'll be a case of whether the South Australian and West Australian governments give them the fly and fly out green light. But I wouldn't. I mean, if I'm if I'm Stephen Marshall, I'm not even I'm not thrilled with you know any Victorian team coming over to South Australia at the moment. 
and uh, Professor Spurrier will be even less thrilled. You know, I mean, he, I mean, there's, there's she's the one calling the shots. That's right, and Fanny, you're right. I mean, there's, there's there's one issue. You know, do we want team? Do you want your team going over and being in Victoria? Well, that's one issue. And the other issue is, do you want a Victorian team coming over here? Yeah, exactly. With with no fourteen days self isolation. Exactly. I, you know, we've had such a con- tight control over our borders and about our situation, and uh, you know, with outstanding results. I don't think the government would be too pleased in any group of players coming in from Victoria right now. I can't see it, and I can't given given that that outbreak went unreported for what a week or or so. Pete, was it? Oh, it's a month. Yeah, it's almost so, a month. So you've got all the people that like all the contract. Oh, sorry, all the contact tracing that's got to occur um, yep. with every staff person in that. Uh, in that factory and all their contacts and all their contacts you know it's I think it's a I think it's I don't think it's going to be as bad as the cruise but I think it's going to be bad enough that it's going to set Victoria back further than every other state including New South Wales yep you know so what do the VFL do then do they you know disclude Victoria from uh from in terms of providing venues, and do we run it out of uh, two different states? Do we run it out of New South Wales and South Australia? Can we use the NT? Well, we could use well, the, the NT. The, that, see, that, that's that's the thing. Is you could have Adelaide Oval, you could have Optus Stadium, um, you could have TIO up in Darwin as a possibility. That you've got those three that are going on. There's Traeger Park in Alice Springs if the if the weather is suitable, um, and there are actually options depending on what actually happens in this state regarding the SANFL. If you're playing these games without crowds, then do you actually utilise some of the local SANFL grounds that are up to scratch? Well, the NT uh, the NT government were even quoted as saying that they, if, if the AFL brought games to Darwin, that they would allow crowds. So that was the carrot that the, that the NT government were offering. Yeah. But there's, I think there's one, there's going to be one very significant hurdle to all of that, and that would be Marty Dangerfield. She says no. <laughs> if Marty says, if Marty says no, if yeah. Marty says no, it's not going to, it won't happen. Yeah, well, unless all think, the games it, are played down at Cadinia Park, she's not going to be happy. Marty will say no. That's very cynical. So we need to think. Of, we need to say. We need to. We need to think about something else. Another, well, you know, another potential. As down at play down at Mogs. Um, look, <laughs> it, it's all. It's all. Everything that we're talking about highlights what you opened with, Peter, and that is the uh, the eccentric nature of the competition. I mean. Uh, South Australia was poo-pooed for a hub because apparently we didn't have enough grounds up to scratch. Well, don't we play pre-season games on Richmond and Norlunga and haven't we got a, mm-hmm. an oval the size of Footy Park up at Centrals and don't we still and have no- Footy Park, by the way? Isn't Footy Park still yeah, we intact? Do. We do. Yeah, we do. It is indeed. Um, we also have – well, the, the problem is a lot of what the requirements are actually the size of the change rooms. So – West Adelaide had to have bigger change rooms and fix them. We know that Unley's change rooms are, are 
I think they're still too small for an AFL game. No, they're they're that, okay for AFLW. That ground's too but small, they say, really. Yeah, it is. Um, and you've got to avoid the dog poo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and but West, um, yeah, Richmond Oval is up to scratch. Yep. Um, I reckon Central's probably would be as well. Yeah. So you got because they're they're decent rooms under there as well. You you've got four venues right there. You've got Norlunga, you've got Richmond, you've got Adelaide Oval, and you've got Centrals. And I rec I'm not sure what work has been done at Footy Park, but we still train there, so you would expect that it's in good condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's five five grounds in South Australia now. Look, we're a central state. We're central to Western Australia and Victoria and and New South Wales. We're COVID-free for 14 days or whatever it is. Closed borders and all the rest of it. What It should be, it, it shouldn't even be a conversation. We are the obvious yeah. choice. Between us yeah. and Northern Territory, those, and we could very easily have two, like divide the, the teams and have two hubs <coughs> and just utilise yeah. Footy Park, Adelaide Oval, Traeger and uh, the one up in Darwin. And we could run a competition. It shouldn't even be a conversation. No. And if we're a truly, if we're a truly national competition, it wouldn't be a conversation, would it? No. Perth have got Optus, and I imagine they've still got CB. Yep. Yep. Because they've got games played there. It's, it's still really nice oval. Yeah. Oh no the um the local free the Fremantle oval not Subi. Um, they play the other one for the AFLW games just down there at Fremantle. And that's that's so a really got, nice oval as well. So you've got probably three AFL quality ovals in Perth. Yep. Um, you know, so the, you're right. I mean, there's, there, there is no um, – there's no there, there's actually no – in a pandemic, there's no, and if you look at what's happening right at this moment, there is no possible argument or rational thought process that could fuel games in Victoria. No, there's not. Just couldn't. There's not. Uh, it's a it's a high density, <clears throat> like it's a densely populated state. Uh, they've got the least amount of testing out of any state in Australia. Uh, yep. They've got a recent outbreak that's at this stage uncontrolled. Um. There's, there's no. I wouldn't personally. Would you go there, Peter? I wouldn't go to Victoria at the moment. Oh, no way. No. No. Yeah, so, the problem, and the problem you've got is that, like last year, you've got you know a team like Richmond, who <clears throat> in twenty two rounds of football had seventeen of those twenty two rounds in Melbourne, and and so they just they're just not prepared. And because as I understand it, it was a number of the senior Richmond players that arced up about the hubs, um, as well as um, as Geelong. Um, as you know, they just, they just have no, um, you know, no sense of it being a national competition, and they spend you know a, a significant percentage of their season just in their own bed in Melbourne, and that's yeah. what they like. Yeah, and 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 the and the AFL panthers to that. Yep. But it also does come back to that point I made about those officials, the umpires. So if the if we do go ahead and say, look, you know. Basing it in South Australia and TWA, actually creating a hub out of those three, move everybody over here. It means you're actually asking those umpires to move interstate. Can they still do their regular workday 
jobs, even if it's working from home, but can they actually do that from interstate? Well, because the AFL's not going to pay their salaries. Don't don't we have? Uh, no, they'll be on Job Seeker. Um, don't we have Everybody umpires? Got don't don't we have uh, umpires in South Australia? Wouldn't you love to see an AFL we... match coached by SANFL umpires? Because I don't know about you. Oh my but god, I much, yes! I much prefer the SANFL style of umpiring to the AFL umpiring. Mm. Yes, um, and unfortunately, a lot of our SA guys they're told you have to move to Victoria if you want to get AFL games. Yeah, yeah. which is ridiculous. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's still which a bit why to... certain South Australians didn't get anywhere because they refused to do that. Yeah, it's still a bit to play out, and uh, I think that's why McLaughlin is uh, holding fire, whereas uh, the NRL have gone full at a gate, obviously because they're broke. Um, but I think we'll see some movement, um, you know, within the next fortnight, because they, I mean, they want to get seventeen games in, and a final series. And they want to try to avoid encroaching on the cricket season as much as possible, which means they really can't squeeze into November. So, you know, if you want seventeen games of uh, seventeen rounds of footy, you're gonna you're gonna have to get your act together. Particularly, we've got to fit in a preseason. Um, you know, make preparations. Uh, the broadcaster's got to make preparations. There's a lot of logistical work to be done. Uh, clubs themselves have got to reassess pardon me, reassemble uh, in terms of their support staff. <coughs> a lot of logistics to go down um, in a fairly short space of time. And I think that the sentiment that you get from the players too is that they don't want a Mickey Mouse competition. They want something that if whoever wins the flag this year, they can legitimately say, we won a legitimate <coughs> AFL premiership. Do you think that's even yep. possible? Do you, do you think... Like with all that's going on, do you think the winner of this season is going to be held in the same steam? I think, um, interestingly, um, and I'll just sidetrack just a second before I take up that point. Yeah, yeah. Thing. It was interesting because there was there's been discussion around Melbourne now about, well, you know, if 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 push comes to shove and we can actually get a grand final, for example you know, in October, for example, in Adelaide, mm. do we move, but we can't have a crowd in Melbourne, do we move the grand final just for one year and have it in Adelaide or Perth? <clears throat> and I think the overwhelming sentiment is that, you know, you'd much prefer to have a grand final with a crowd. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that there would be any opposition. I don't, you know, the Melbourne media mafia who, you know, are so wedded to the MCG were generally pushing that. But I think, I suspect... That, that being the case, that whoever wins the grand final, unless it's it, there'll be two there'll be two narrative two yeah, narratives, yeah. Fame. and that is that if there's a if if this season goes ahead and there's a grand final in Adelaide, and Richmond win that grand final, it'll be one of the great yeah. premierships of all time. Yeah, because they have they to have go to through. Travel. They had to. They've had to go. They've they've won it away. They had to get on they've, the bike. It's been <clears throat> it's been harsh. There's been all of these things that have happened, and that that should forever close the argument about you know it being too hard to win on the road in a grand final. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, and and, and they'll be one of the great teams of all time. Yeah. The second narrative would be um, if a non-Victorian team wins it 
If Adelaide beat Richmond. If Adelaide beat Richmond, <laughs> then it would forever Dream. have a, it would it would forever have an asterisk. Yeah, that's right. It would forever have an asterisk because you didn't win the grand you didn't go to the to the home football and you didn't win it at the home football. Yeah. And so it will ever have forever and that, I think that would go for any non Victorian team. They didn't they didn't make the journey to the MCG and so it's not a it, you know, it will never be yeah. a, you know, a great victory. That they're the two narratives. But so, I also do think that apart from so the fans of the the winning team, they'll think there's no asterisk next to it. I think for the rest of us there will be an asterisk no matter how long this season goes. Like Sloan said, he's happy to play until November, um, if they need to get games in, etc. But I think we all know that there's already an asterisk next to this because we've had round one. And there's going to be how many months before round two is played? And with a shorter season, that round one is crucial. But it's how long ago? And you've got different size teams that are then going to compete for the rest of the season. You've got different coaching panels because, you know, you've got different people have left. And yeah, good points, Nikki. Good points. Yeah. The, the alternative, that- of course, is just to scrap the season altogether and have a Australian carnival with all the state league teams in it as well and just make it a standalone football carnival for until the end of footy season. Um, because We'd have I, two teams. Well, look, I just struggle to see the legitimacy. And if, 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 the, if the AFL grand final winner this year is not going to be held in the same esteem as any other year, then to my mind, why do it? Why play? If those players are going to risk injury in order to win a Mickey Mouse premiership that's not going to be held in any regard whatsoever, why bother? Why not do something as a standalone, um, whether it be a State of Origin carnival or a, or a, a you know an Australasian Cup carnival or something like that? Why not? Why not do something as a one-off and just write the season off? Mm. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm for, I'm, you know, I'm for you on that. I, I'm, um, I have to be honest. I, I don't think I've ever, ever quite felt as disillusioned with the AFL and AFL football as I have this season. You know, with all this happening and the way that they've handled it, the way the players have been, and I think the whole thing's just been really, really messy. I think it's been, you know, I think the players haven't come out of it looking very good, and neither of the AFL and media horrendous as always and uh, you know honestly I would be quite happy if they just drew a line underneath it and let's just you know do whatever you know whatever gets it back on TV and entertains people for you know yeah. they can get a bit of money in the bank or whatever yeah, and then just come back again next year yeah I, yeah. I mean it'd be like what they've done with the supercars using that E-series to keep fan engagement etc it's a bit of fun that I mean the drivers in that are pretty damn serious about it now, but they they recognise that it's just a way to keep their sponsors happy, etc. So the AFL needs to actually really take a look at what supercars are doing and the way they they're keeping that engagement going with the restrictions that are on. They they need to come up with something that, that provides that kind of short, sharp, and shiny entertainment. Well, the thing is with what the supercars have done is they've never made any, they've never tried to 
make it out to be anything other than it is. And the other thing that they've done is thrown a hell of a lot of production at it. So you sit you sit down and you watch the Supercar Z series. You've got expert panel. You've got good coverage. You've got fantastic angles. You've got, uh, you know, it's not glitchy or anything like that. Um, and it's enjoyable to watch. But it's not held up to be anything other than a stand-in. And I think, you know... Uh, most competitions in most sports are going to struggle with le- with the legitimacy of this year, and I think it's widely acknowledged by the public, at least, that the only reason you get a you get a season off is to you know satisfy your sponsors. But in that event, that. that's what that's what makes me say, why bother trying to make it something that it's not? If it's not a legitimate AFL season, then don't try and put on a legitimate AFL season. Do something different that will engage people in a different way that is, that is um, you know, got its own... It stands on its own merit without trying to be something that it's not. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think um, whatever uh, the, the thing that, and I think this plays into why I feel so disillusioned with the AFL at the moment is that the problem I just can't, I can't see them overcoming is that, is that I think that you've just got this constant um, battle, yeah, between this you know to try and get things with any kind of parity when you've got different states with different laws and you're trying to run a national competition, and there's always going to be um, you know hurdles, um, and, and there's always going to be inequities. I think it's exposed so. people, hasn't it, uh, Pete? I think in a, in adversity, when people are, are thrown into uh, situations that they're not comfortable with or not not routine or usual, you often get an insight into their real thoughts. And mm. I think what we've seen as you rightly point out, from the Victorian media in particular and also the, the manner in which the AFL have, have uh, <coughs> conducted themselves and the bulk of the players, uh, we've really seen true colours in, in many respects of what people yeah. really think, what how they really see things. And yep. it's as plain as the nose on your face. This is this is we are playing in the VFL. You know, yep. when and we must for those people that are not old enough to remember we can never forget that in 1990 we applied to join the VFL that's mm. what we did when West Coast joined in the mid 80s they joined the VFL VFL exactly the VFL is still the VFL it only changed its name it uh, it, it conducted a, a, a soft revolution of Australian football uh, and took over football codes in many other states in not the, not a dissimilar way that, that China tried to buy off small countries by, you know, give, throwing money at them. Mm. You know, it was yep. basically do it our way or don't, or you're not involved, and smaller competitions had no choice. But make no mistake, we're playing in the VFL, and we should never forget that. We should never mm. forget that we're playing in the VFL. We still have mm. a Brownlow medal, which is a VFL medal, we still play for the same trophy that they played for uh, in uh, VFL days. There are so many things that continue. When you talk about stats and you talk about uh, histories, uh, the history of the, the AFL doesn't start from 1990. It starts from, 
you know, 18 whatever, or if you're Port Adelaide, 1546. You know, yep. there is, it just... We can't forget, and I think what you're saying is absolutely correct, Pete, that this situation has brought about uh, a real sense of disillusionment and probably a little bit of surprise from people that may not really pay that close an attention to it in states outside of Victoria to just how eccentric this competition is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, it, we did actually get away from the VFL. It did actually start to become the AFL when Wayne Jackson was in charge. But that's why they got rid of him because the Vic clubs didn't like the fact that he was doing equalisation. He was not letting them rule the roots. And the commission, which is heavily Vic-centric, did not like it and they got rid of him. Well, I I think, to be honest with you, Nikki, I'd even go back and say that Ross Oakley was very, very much... Uh, a G for a truly national competition. If you read some of the he stuff, if you read some of the some of the stuff, I mean, he had he had a lot of people in his ear, and it, you know, he, he was a bit of a, you know, he was uh, the first cab off the rank sort of thing. But Oakley wanted a national comp, um, and it's only since Demetrio that things have really gone downhill. And the thing that always shocks me is that Wayne Jackson actually supposedly endorsed Dimitri as his successor and I couldn't think of two people who were more poles apart uh, both in terms of character and also in terms of their vision than Wayne Jackson and Andrew Demetrio. I think Andrew was hiding a lot of his own personal um, beliefs in order to get that position. One, one, one of them was very much a political animal <clears throat> And came up through politics, mm. and the other one was involved in business. And there's two very different ways of working. So anyway, with all that aside, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I, you know, for all that discontent, I just, I, I don't see where anything will ever change. And I think it brings us back to what you were saying earlier, Peter, that. It, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. As a supporter of a, of a non-Victorian club, it, it, it really just takes the edge off. And I think for a lot of people, that, that's been a sentiment that has probably simmered under the surface for quite some time. But it, particularly older people who were brought up in, in footy in the 70s and the 80s, um, and AFL football just never felt quite the same. Um, this has now highlighted that or magnified it, I guess you'd say. And I myself find it uh, that I I haven't really missed the footy as much as I thought I would, apart from uh, something to watch on a Saturday afternoon or whenever it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely spot on. Yeah, we've actually discovered there's other things to do. But it's not only that, Nick, you know, I mean, maybe it's age, I don't know, but I, there would be no way in the eighties that I would miss a game of football. No, just no way, I would miss a game of yeah. footy. Whereas I, I honestly have not missed the footy. I, you know, and and we're we're running a, a podcast covering one of the AFL clubs. Um, you know, we in many respects we've lived, eaten, and breathed the Adelaide Football Club now for five odd years, and yet I've got to say. 
that it hasn't left the hole that I expected that it would have left. Mm. And I wonder how many other non-Victorian people would say the same thing. I've seen a lot of it on Twitter. Yeah, as, as have I. You know, I mean, it would we... be interesting to see in chat how many people, uh, and probably not the chat people because they're the people that are obsessed enough to actually listen to us whenever <laughs> we are. But we might chuck it out on Twitter later or, or something, you know, because I, I'm just interested to, to see how many people have not missed the footy as much as they thought they would. Anyway, um, the other thing that uh, is going on at the moment is uh, Marty Matna, Peter, um, reportedly took a severage package, a severance, severage, severance package, uh, yep. uh, uh, in light of the fact that he was told that he wouldn't be uh, reappointed, his contract wouldn't be uh, renewed at the end of the year. So he's taken a severance and uh, obviously weighing his options. What did you make of all of that? I thought it was a fairly curious decision, um, to be honest. Um, and I, you know, I was I was I was pretty disappointed. I have to say, um, not that I'm on the, you know, the inner walls of uh, of the coaching department, but he just seemed to me to be a very very well credentialed and. Um, uh, you know, uh, from as much as I could make out, I think that a lot of our problems weren't necessarily sitting in. Our forward line has just really become a, a disaster in the last two or three years. And so I'm just not sure how um, Ben Hart escapes that kind of scrutiny. Um, particularly, I'm particularly disappointed that his role is covered by Brent Riley. Um, and I just, um, I don't know, just, I just it left me a little bit cold, to be honest. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because Riley's normally the midfield coach in the yes, NFL team. And we've, we, that's our two defensive coaches that we've lost. Paul Thomas, who I rate really highly, um, he's gone, and Matna, who we know that he's got a really good background. So who? what's going on with their defence? Well, I don't think... I think the line coaching is interchangeable, to be honest with you, because all of these coaches, have, except for Ben Hart, have coached uh, teams in their own right. So uh, I think, you know, Marty Matna could be a forward coach, he could be a midfield coach, he could be a defensive coach. I don't think it really matters. I think it's they put them where they want to put them. But the the thing that I've got a problem with is we're already probably the most inexperienced coaching box in the league. And now we've lost probably the most credentialed assistant coach on our panel. You know, 200-odd AFL games, uh, multiple premierships at Sturt, premiership player at Sydney. Um, you know, as as well credentialed as, well, far better credentialed than even the head coach um, who's only been an assistant at, at GWS and Port. So, yep. you know, uh, it, it's to me it has to be, it can't be anything other than a financial decision and it just probably tells me that Paul Thomas and Marty Matner were paid much more than uh, Benny Hart. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you compare uh, the yeah. compare the coaching box at Port Adelaide to ours. You've got you've got Kenny Hinckley, you've got Brent Montgomery, you've got Michael Voss, you've got Nathan Bassett. Who else is there? Um, Scof- Scof- Jared Schofield, Scofield, who's been touted as a future AFL coach. I mean, you look at that coaching box and that level of experience compared to what we've got, and it makes you really think. You know what we've got just isn't up to scratch how can we how can we get a positive answer how can we get a positive result out of that no and i'm just um <clears throat> you know for me a, a coaching a coaching an assistant coaching panel that ends up with both ben hart and brent riley on the, on that as the as two of the three line coaches um I don't know. Doesn't look to me as though you know. Doesn't seem to be a lot of diversity there. No, no, there's not. Not at all. Um. Um. So anyway, look, and maybe it's just a matter of that they've accepted the fact that we're going to be shit for a couple of years, Pete, and they're trying to yeah, minimi- maybe. minimize maybe. their expenditure. And yeah, and that I think that's. I think you're pretty much spot on being that it, most of it is to do with money. Um, and, I mean, I'm one of the few people that was actually looking forward to seeing us play this year, but that was in the hope that we were going to play a lot of the younger players and I was willing to take the losses, but it seems we're going to have a very young coaching group <laughs> as well as the younger players. So it's going to be interesting. Well, it's going to be interesting for a lot of reasons. I mean, the soft cap is is going to have an impact on on staffing. So, you know, there will be a lot of very well-credentialed assistant coaches uh, looking for work, uh, which is obviously going to filter filter down to the state leagues. But, you know, I said a few weeks ago that it's going to be a return to 90s football. And you recall, you know, when we won our two flags, there was... You know, Blighty Reed and one or two others in the box, and that was it, sort of thing. Um, you yeah. know, so we're going to see Draggy. that again um, in the coaches' box. Uh, we're not going to have the cast of thousands. We're probably not going to have the stats man. We're not going to have the dedicated doctor on on payroll, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so it will be interesting to see if that persists after this year, or whether slowly. Uh, those uh, caps are lifted again and we see football clubs, you know, return to uh, employing a cast of thousands to keep their precious babies on the park. Very much interesting times. Well, you know, as someone pointed out in the chat earlier, the AFL have lost their major sponsor. Virgin was one of the major sponsors and there's no money coming from Virgin anymore. Um, you would Another imagine... big one's tab that's taken a hit as well. Yeah, you, the the money is not going to be there. The only, the only I know we get the most of our money from the broadcaster, but the peripheral money the clubs get from sponsorships is gonna it's going to dry up because these, you know how many how many clubs are sponsored by airlines in the competition? We've got a South China airline sponsorship. I'm sure there's a few more uh, that have there airline are. sponsorships. Um, you know, there's some retail sponsorships there that are obviously going to struggle. Look, the money's not going to be there, and I think it. I think we are not really going to see the extent of uh, 
the impact on on the financials or the economic situation on the AFL for probably another six to twelve months when it becomes apparent that there yep. just isn't enough money to go around. I, th- I think probably in the end it was a it's on, for a for, for really what is essentially a domestic league. It's a probably a reasonable correction in some ways. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You think of you know some of the money that was uh, particularly for the players that have just keep kept pushing the envelope. So yeah, they they really have to take a long hard look at themselves. Yeah, and the the fact that they've been pushing to try to protect themselves is like, well, are you actually protect protecting those trainers? How many of them have lost their jobs? That you rely that the players rely on so much. They don't give a shit, Nikki. They do not give not when it comes a rat's end of it. toss. They, they but, care about nothing or nobody but themselves. But we, we can we can take it back to clear. when we actually started this podcast, which was about literally the Essendon saga. And we knew the AFLPA back then didn't actually really care about most of the players because they were on the side of those drug cheats. And they were not protecting the clean players. They were protecting the drug cheats. And so I have had no respect for the AFLPA since then. No. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's a different – obviously, it's a different scale. It's a far different scale, except that – but, you know, the, that young young lad, the um, um, the star draft pick in the NBA, Ion, he was a rookie, played his first games this season. Now, of course, it's, it's different, but – the intent was there, and that's when they all locked down. He was the first one to come out and say, "Home managers, the staff around his stadium." Yeah. Now, you don't expect AFL that. No, no intent at all. Your to audio move is their just... position. So, no your intent audio. to move. Yeah, that's better. The only, and you know what? The, to my knowledge, the only person that's made any kind of movement has been Chris Scott, who said that he would keep coaching for nothing, and he's he's not taking he's not taking pay at the moment. Um, the players they have not been prepared to move one inch. No, and look, the writing was on the wall with regards to the players' attitudes towards their ancillary staff and their support staff when it became a big deal that blokes like Trent Cotchin and Rory Sloan would clean up the change rooms afterwards, you know, after... Mm. Like, that should be a given. Like, yep. if you go somewhere and you have a drink, Pete, do you chuck the glass on the floor? No. I mean, that should be a given. The fact that it was such a big deal that these blokes, oh, you know, we we value our support staff, we're going to clean up all the, all the, all the elastoplasts and all the drink bottles and that. Well, so you fucking should. I don't know why that's a bloody something to yeah. hang your hat on. You know, that's not a, that's not something to win a Nobel Prize over. And that, in in hindsight, in retrospect, you look at things like that and you think, uh, you know, they are a bit precious. And as, well, it, as it turns out, in the context of what's going on now, and as you rightly point out, their unwillingness to, to bend and to look after other people in their organisation... Um, I I'm with you. I, I just think it's it's extremely poor behaviour, and I, you know, Nikki, you were talking about the AFLPA um, losing your respect uh, after the Essendon saga. Well, 
to me, the AFLPA really changed when uh, Paul Evans came on board. The the they became just a, an arm of the AFL, in my opinion. And and his his rhetoric and and some of the stuff that he's come out with has been borderline laughable. Yeah, the 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 fact that they pretty much are an AFL entity and yet they seem to have the AFL by the balls. It, it's just bewildering to me. And then they put, they make bloody Dangerfield the president. Yeah. I oh, know. We all know where that decision making is coming from. Yeah, that's right. Well, and interestingly, and, a, a previous president, Matthew Pavlik, has probably aired more than one view that is counter to the current president's view. So uh, maybe that shows yeah. you that's illustrative of the shift in uh, in mindset as well. So yep. lots, lots to play out, Pete and Nick. I yeah, reckon. lots. Lots. I think... Uh, we'll still be here. <laughs> we'll still be here. Um, <laughs> we'd probably make the announcement now, Pete. What do you reckon, while no one's listening? Yeah, no, go <laughs> So uh, do it. a bit of a uh, rethink of the Crowcast um, for the rest of this year and, and going forward into the future. Um, it's uh, been a labour of love to put two and often three podcasts together a week and uh, video casting and all the rest of it that we've tried to do and make the most of... Uh, of the resources that are available online, etc. But uh, the time has come to pull the pin on Tuesday Night Live. Uh, we will continue Tuesday Night Live fortnightly until the season commence. And uh, then Tuesday Night Live will have its final show. Um, also, the rev up will not uh, continue this year or in the future. The time and effort and production and all the rest of it is just too hard so uh crowcast will be reverting to uh the sunday night show from the start of the season and into the future uh it'll be a slightly expanded show it might go a little bit longer than the current hour that it's our nikki that it's supposed to go the hour <laughs> nikki, no 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 talk to, to macca not me macca <laughs> <laughs> um and we will have uh Along with myself, we will have a rotation of uh, Peter, Nikki, Macca and Donkey on the Sunday night show where we will do our usual analysis and probably spend a little bit of time talking about other stuff. But, uh, you know, it's been a difficult decision because Tuesday Night Live is where it all started, Peter, when we started doing pre-recorded shows back in 2015. Oh, my uh, God, yes. 2015 when we were doing pre-recorded shows and it took me three days to bloody edit them and all the rest of it. <laughs> so ba- basically from myself and I uh, know Pete and the rest of us, Fane, thank you so much for all the work you have done. It's, it's You talk about the labour of love. It's, it's pretty much on you. We just turn up, sprout shit, <laughs> ramble on, <laughs> cause, you, cause you headaches. You have to wrangle the, the flights between Macca and I on Sundays. Um, you have done an outstanding job and oh, we love being a part of it. It's just so, so much. It's, it's, it's kind so of sad. Much fun. And look, it is. Know, 
to to be honest with you, you know, a lot of it is my own life. I've got uh, you know a young grandson now, and I've, I'm doing some study, and I've got a busy job, and you know, at some point you've just got to say, how much time am I putting into this? And uh, you know, uh, I think we've pushed the envelope pretty far in terms of what we produce. I don't think there's any other podcast that goes live. I don't think there's any other podcast that multicast to various platforms and all the rest of it. And that's not that's nothing against other casts or whatever or putting us up on a pedestal but I think we've tried to do quite a lot of stuff and we've tried to do it to give people a bit of a different angle than and a different bit of content compared to all the 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 you know the two second bullshit that we get on mainstream media and we'll continue to do that on Sunday nights um but you know there's only so many hours in the day and uh, so it was a difficult decision. So just for myself personally, um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been involved with the cast, and that includes uh, Scorpus, who used to, who picked up the the preview cast on Thursday night and ran with it um, and made it his own, and it was an excellent show that we really couldn't replicate uh, with the rev up. Um, you know, thank you to everyone who's been involved in the cast, Peter especially, and Nikki. Uh, as well as founding members uh, of the cast. Um, thanks both to you guys for uh, all your support. And it doesn't mean we're going away, it just means that we're not going to be on during the week. So it'll be a Sunday night cast, uh, it'll be analysis of the game gone, a little bit of AFL and Crows chat, uh, a little bit of banter, but probably just focused on on the game that's just gone. And I'm sure that other podcasts like Two Crows and Crowject and uh, crow's nest and what happened is what happened to sensible crow by the way he's disappeared but there's lots of really good casts for people to listen to during the week for their general afl news uh, and adelaide crows news and, and banter uh, and we're going to stick to our sunday night slot with our analysis so thanks everyone and thanks finally to everyone who has supported us through the spreaker chat which has built its own little community and now on discord I mean, it's. Just, I don't know about you guys, Pete and Nikki, but it's amazed me how many people engage with us each each Tuesday night. But yeah, it's great, and um, it's 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 all you know been great fun, and also always continues to amaze me the people from far flung places around the world that we get messages from. So yeah. always good to to get those messages as well. Yeah, and I think I think that's what's actually made us. That's our point of difference. Is as you said, being live. But it means we've got that interaction with them because they keep us on our toes. We'll say something and it's yeah. wrong and they correct us. Um, or they're just downright funny bastards that just make me giggle <laughs> well, a lot I, of the time. I'll, I'll never forget after 2015 when we were doing pre-recorded and I'd said to you guys, I reckon we can do this live, you know, and you're like, no, we can't do it live. But I think you're right, Nick. I think it has been... It, it's been so much more fun because it's essentially we've had an audience as we've been casting... Um, you know, the people on, on chat have been hilarious. They pull us up when we're wrong. They give us information when we need it. They keep things going. I, I just love it. I just love watching the chat, and I'm glad that we've been able to migrate people from other platforms as well. So, look, enough about that, but I just, just a big thank you to everyone. It's been a fantastic five years for Tuesday Night Live uh, and for Crowcast in general. I would never have thought that we'd grown to the extent that we have. And I hope that people really get behind the Sunday show uh, when it kicks off, which will be after round one or two or whatever they call it. 
Um, but until then, obviously, we'll continue with Tuesday Night Live fortnightly until that kicks off. But I thought we might as well make the uh, make the announcement now, Pete, so people can you know adjust their sleeping patterns. That's right. And, and That's the right. best thing is, you won't have to. You won't. Will you still have a pumpkin? On Sunday nights, or will things be a little uh, bit more relaxed? I might be a bit more relaxed on a Sunday night, actually. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, is there anything else that we need to cover before we bugger off? I think that might be about no. it. No, because I've still got the pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Nikki. Thanks, Peter. Thanks to everyone on the see chat. See you, guys. Uh, and we'll thanks, see you guys. in a fortnight's time for another Tuesday Night Live. Night-o. Good night.